Celtics Reddit Podcast. My name is Ben Vallis. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. We've got a lot to get to today. Change is afoot. Danny Ainge is stepping down. Brad Stevens has been promoted. And the Celtics are suddenly without a head coach. But before we get to that, we have personnel changes of our own. A new member of the team, Jason, aka Celtics J. Jason, welcome aboard, man. How's it going? Thanks, man. It's going well. Uh, crazy time to get get brought into the mix here plenty to talk about yeah absolutely hell of a first uh podcast for you. <laughs> yeah no pressure before we get into it do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from and sure and how long you've been following the team yeah I'm, I'm a local fan right here in massachusetts i, I grew up on the celtics uh, i was for better or for worse born in 1986 so my father's uh always blamed me for the struggles that the celtics had after that <laughs> now that's a joke because if he ends up hearing this he, he might not laugh as much as i do so yeah just a just a local guy that loves the game loves loves the team uh has has been through the the tough years especially during those 90s seasons yeah um saw a little bit of that blink of success in the early 2000s and now of course um post 2008 looking at this new change into the garden uh, I'm I'm really interested to see where all this goes now with the Celtics because it's kind of I feel like it's uh it's kind of a blessing to know the pre-Ainge Celtics, the Ainge Celtics, and getting the chance to really see what this next era is going to be like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, look, we're very happy to have you on board, and it's certainly an interesting time for you to join. Like you said, I was born in 1987, by the way, so at least you got to witness <laughs> technically two championships. <laughs> right. It's only been one in my lifetime, but uh, we're hoping for a change there. Well, look. Uh, Two days ago, let's get into it. Two days ago, the initial Woj tweets are popping up that Ainge is maybe considering stepping down. Then shortly after, we get the just rain of nuclear fire. Ainge <laughs> stepping down, Brad stepping up to the president of basketball operations role. Jason, you know, it's been a couple of days and there's been a lot of podcasts on this already. Now that we've had some time to think about it, how do you feel about these changes? Are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic going forward? How do you feel? I can't help but be optimistic. Um, because what choice do I have as a Celtics? I'm not going anywhere. Um, you know, like I've been through, I've been through darker days as a Celtics fan than all this, uh, not, not winning a championship, getting, getting bounced in the first round, like it being in the playoffs and having a competitive squad, having a team that you can root for, um, young talent that you can continue to root for, like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, even Marcus Smart, like just having guys that you can feel invested in um it's it's easy to feel optimistic for this team and you know there's a lot of things to look at with the situation especially regarding Danny stepping down and Brad coming up uh but given what we've experienced in the Ainge era i mean i feel like it's it's worth being optimistic until proven otherwise yeah i th- i tend to feel the same way i think that um there was this mystique of Ainge that um, he so there was this air of mystique about him since his inception in you know, in that role in 2003, and it did kind of diminish a little bit over the last few years as like he he was sort of toppled a little bit by some some negative publicity and I guess some some moves that we might look back on now in hindsight as mistakes and it did kind of um, you know pull down the veil over Ainge there a little bit. I, I think that with Brad coming in, he's had a similar mistake in his coaching role and like where did he come from who is this guy like coach brad stevens he's he's quiet and silent on the sideline but you you hear the the sort of the rumors of him being like an absolute hard ass in the locker room so (laughs) i do think that some of that mystique is restored as the president of basketball ups for the for the celtics so i think in that sense um, i'm optimistic that we've restored that figurehead uh and i'm excited to see um what he can do moving forward there, there was some talk during the season, Jason, of a need for a new voice in, in the locker room. And, and Brad even acknowledged this in his press conference a couple of days ago. Um, and that there was potential for Brad to be moving on. Where did that idea sit with you at the time? Did you feel like Brad needed to move on? And are you happy with the result? So I, I'm of the opinion that I think Brad, given enough time uh, and, and investment from the higher up leadership, which Ainge has always demonstrated a confidence and a belief in what, Ainge, or in what Brad can do. Um, that he can win a championship with this squad. Do I think that he had this locker room around his finger like he's had in the past? Nah, I, th- I think this season, um, I think a lot of, I think the players as well as uh, the coaching staff, everyone's exhausted. This has been an exhausting year for everybody. And they went deep last year. 
Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know that some of that kind of comes off like a little bit of a narrative, but I, I think, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, as they say. And I, I think everyone is just wore down. You can tell that Danny's wore down. Everyone's worn down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, um, you know, the circumstances as they are, it makes sense given that Ainge is stepping down that Brad would step up. I think from an organizational standpoint, I think there's an, a narrative that makes a lot of sense with regards to that and that can play in a positive way for the organization and the team. I don't totally agree with like that Brad lost the locker room in a way that he wouldn't be able to recover from. I, I just sure. think he's demonstrated with too many different rosters that he can get them bought into his system and that over the duration of time, it's successful. It works. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's still like, it's still such a mind fuck though. Like thinking about it, <laughs> like we never, never would have pre- predicted this. You know, there were some rumors even prior to the, the issues with Brad Stevens and the supposed losing a handle on, on the locker room there. There were some rumors that Ainge was potentially getting ready to step down. I think Mike Zarin was the obvious candidate for his replacement there and never could have guessed in a thousand years that Brad Stevens would be the one to step up in this role. So, um, it is interesting, um, but they do seem very confident in him, and I don't know to some degree they they have to say that they have to project that confidence. Um, but, you know, We're now that we've had... him, but we don't really love it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. To be honest, we have no idea what we're doing, but uh, we're just going to give it a shot. Um, I mean, now that we've had a bit of time to think about it, I've, I have kind of settled into the idea that you know maybe he could be a competent president of, of basketball ups there, and of course now President Brad Stevens is now literally President Brad Stevens, so it's a fitting title. Um, there's a comment from a Reddit user here, Bone Fortuna, who wrote, I have to give Danny a ton of credit for doing a pretty amazing job over about 18 years. It's a hard job in a pressure cooker environment with a devoted, opinionated, and sometimes fickle fan base. That's us. I remember the disasters before him, so I'm a little bummed, and it's probably time for a shakeup. So... Getting to Ainge's, I guess, tenure with the team before we move on to some, you know, future long-term stuff with Brad Stevens. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think the top five moments were of uh, of Danny Ainge's career? And I thought if we went sort of five descending down to one, uh, we could compare our top five and, and see what we come up with there. So why don't you start with your number five and, and we'll go from there. All right. My number five is the Ricky Davis trade. Ooh, Ricky spicy. Davis, where we sent out Tony Batiste, Kedrick Brown, Eric Williams, uh, for Ricky Davis, Chris Mann, Michael Stewart, and uh, a second-round pick that ended up being Ryan Gomes, who I loved. <laughs> I loved Ryan Gomes. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good one. That's a that's a deeper cut than what I've gone gone for there. Um, See, it's personal though. So, like, like I said, me and the Celtics, like that has a lot to do with like my relationship with, with my father growing up, and that was the first trade where me and that dude almost came to blows. <laughs> Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) So, so Danny comes in and of course he's rattling all the cages and he sends Eric Williams out of all players. And that's one of my, my father's favorite players for good reason. I mean, Eric, Eric Williams was like OG Marcus Smart, right? Like he was Marcus Smart before we had Marcus Smart. Yeah. Um, And so we sent him out for this outspokenly selfish, you know, hot dog and player. Uh, But at the time, like, we needed we needed liveliness on the on the team. We needed reason a reason for folks to watch and to pay attention and to to look at the other players on our squad, so that you know he could start marketing these young assets to to roll them over for for bigger deals down the road. And so, I remember Danny Ainge came on. He brought on this new young you know star and Ricky Davis that was coming out and you know, he was getting all the lobs for the the alley oops and it was just it was exciting basketball to see. And but yeah, yeah sure. my father and I would get in these back and forths about it. It was heated. It was heated. <laughs> uh, interesting. I think that's where me living in Australia it it does uh, preclude me from from some of those deeper cuts. Where you know now you you can formulate your own mainstream news no matter where in the world it originates mm. from. But but back then the NBA news cycle didn't necessarily make its way to Australia even via the internet. Um, which is why my number five is much more recent. That's the trade for Isaiah Thomas, not the IT mm. trade for Kyrie. The trade for IT yep. where we, he traded, I think, Marcus Thornton and a first round pick. Yeah, and at the time, we were kind of like, okay, like this seemed like almost a sidestep, like that we, we, hang on, we're giving up a first round pick, we're getting this, I guess, promising guy who's, you know, quite small, um, we weren't really expecting anything from him, but not only did it go on to be, you know, what it was, obviously Isaiah Thomas is now kind of regarded as not necessarily an all-time Celtic, but a um, certainly it defines an era, like there's an yeah. IT era that will always be the case um, in terms of 
um, Celtics historians and whatnot looking back. But also, it opened us up to the point where we could sign Al Horford, which then attracted the Hayward signing. We became an appealing organization, and that mm-hmm. started with the, the IT trade. What's your, what's your number four trade there? Oh, so my number four <laughs> is the dog trade. The dog trade. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Listen, I don't know. Maybe I just wasn't enough of a fan or something. I did not realize you could trade coaches. That blew my <laughs> mind. That blew my mind. But yeah. the other thing, and I think it plays into a little bit of Ainge's story and a little bit of what I think is a big positive about Ainge's tenure with the Celtics, which is that he brought a remarkable amount of stability to a really just destabilized organization um and so even when it got to the point that doc had to move on whether you know it was because the team just needed a new coach to begin with or because doc's preference was not to rebuild it wasn't firing doc or having doc quit and walk away it was you know what's going to be an ideal situation for you let's make this you know a mutually beneficial thing he like it just it just kind of felt good um it didn't feel like the next time we saw doc coaching another team there was animosity there like you could still just have this feeling of love and appreciation for a guy that really just did the Celtics a lot of justice. That dude was a remarkable coach to have with that squad. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, just the the, the testicular fortitude to trade a, a coach, like, it must not have happened that many times in the Yo, NBA, but of course Danny Ainge is going to trade a coach. And low-key, that also got the uh, the second-round pick, or, or maybe, no, I think it was a second-round pick that got R.J. Hunter. You know, yeah. AKA right. maybe maybe he'll be like Kevin Martin. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I remember that. Uh, yeah, insane. It's such a Danny Ainge thing to do. My <laughs> my number four is the the other IT trade, the one that got us Kyrie Irving. Which you know, in hindsight, now looking back, Brilliant. you know, it seems like something that we we may have done better without. But at the time, like to bring on Kyrie Irving and have this big three on paper of Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, Al Horford, like that. That's the goal, right? Clips. I was doing yeah, backflips. <laughs> yeah, and like the, the 2K team that that birthed as well, just like completely aside from anything IRL, that was amazing. Like I had my, <laughs> yeah. maybe my best 2K years in that time. <laughs> but um, just like that on paper was the team, like right moving on from, from 2008 uh, and the, the KG Pierce era. That's, that's what you're gunning for this whole time. And for a moment and for five minutes of a season, <sighs> like we had that. We had that championship team. It didn't work out, but none of that really is any fault of Danny Ainge's there. Mm-mm. So that, that makes the top five for me. And the fact that it came right after the draft was bananas. Yeah. Like that whole summer, uh, I, forget, I forget which person it was, but there, one, one of the other sports uh, casters was, was talking about like that 13-month period where Danny was just hitting home run after home run like that was just a dynamite (laughs) offseason and the fact that we only got to see it for five minutes is really just a heartbreaker just a absolutely brutal but a great move at the time so it makes the the top five what's what's your number three one there number three is the walker trade the original one where we where he shipped him out of town it was the first time i felt like my heart got ripped out of my chest Um, (laughs) because for for all the criticism you can have about walker and i was the one yelling at him every time he shot a three that was like he was the other OG Marcus Smart because like he was the other guy that people would scream at their televisions about every time he hoisted another three. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and of course, we bring back Rafe LaFriends, who was a complete disaster and could never really yeah. stay on the court himself. <laughs> but who didn't love Yuri Welsh? I mean, come on. Um, <laughs> like Yuri Welsh, that, that guy was like, he was low-key Jonas Jarepko before Jarepko. Just saying, there's a lot of there's a lot of different connections we can make here. <laughs> it's um, Fungo's original love interest. That's right, that's right. <laughs> uh, and then we also, we got the pick that turned into Delante West, who, mm-hmm. you know, he was a great player to watch, especially early on. You know, I know he went on to have some, some tough times later, um, but when he was with us, especially those first few years, he was just a dynamite player to watch. He was a hard-working guy. He could, you know, he could score from three different levels. And he gave yep. great interviews. That dude was an amazing interview. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a good one. And also interesting because I, I believe Ainge made that trade of, of Antoine Walker like pretty soon after he, he signed on, right? Like, it was oh, in yeah. 03, no, that 04. was the big like culture shakeup. He, he, I remember reading the articles at the time and then a little bit afterwards. And the narrative that's been pushed is that Antoine just seemed to kind of have a certain hold on the organization because he was the star. He was the guy, even before Pierce showed up, like he was the one that people came to see. Um, And it just, you know, and he was also the fire. Like when, when those teams are being competitive, it was Walker getting in everyone's grill about that. Like he was the one in the huddle 
screaming at Paul and being like, you need to go like make some shots right now. Like we got to go D uh-huh. this up real though. <laughs> um, he was the guy that just made all that happen. So when that, when he got traded, it was like, you almost felt like the life force. It, it, it's kind of like what I feel like people are scared about trading Marcus smart about, mm-hmm. you know, cause you lose that guy. That's just going to get everyone's, you know, energy ramped up to another level. Yeah. Interesting parallels there as well with, you know, Brad Stevens now coming on in the same role. And he also has this all-star duo in, in Brown and Tatum, not saying he's going to trade one of them, but it's just interesting how that, you know, the the roster that he's coming into in some ways mirrors the roster that, that Ainge came into back in 03. Um, mm-hmm. My number three is trading back for the number three pick and drafting Jason Tatum. Uh, the and just stooging the sixes and really pulling one over all of us at the time because, <sighs> but yeah, at that point, I think I'd watched every Markel Fultz highlight clip that was available on YouTube. I'd completely sold myself on the guy. I think the, mostly the entire fan base had. And then Ainge just does this 180 pivot, trades back with Philly, gifts them this number one pick. You know, they've already got this stacked roster at the time with a young Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. We're gifting them Markel Fultz, and it just felt like the sky was falling. You know, fast forward now, Lonzo Ball, Markel Fultz are sort of almost nobodies, particularly Fultz. Um, not that I'm happy about that. I genuinely hope that they, they improve their careers. But Tatum is like borderline superstar situation here, and we got a pick out of it, so... Um, that that has to be listed in the top five. Yeah, no, that was. I think I read it in the um in the in the comment section. Someone had brought it up, and yeah, it. I feel like that's that was his masterpiece. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was his <laughs> his most read moment right there. So we're getting into the top two here. What what do you got at number two? All right, number two for me is the Walker trade, the Walk of Shame. It was Danny <laughs> Danny going back. And bringing Walker back to the squad, um, it was kind of like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I'll ever fully understand all the rationale that goes behind it. But from my perspective as the fan watching, it was like he realized what he gave up as far as that heart and soul energy, that fire that really, you know, got things cooking. Um, and he saw a little bit of talent going into the playoffs. I think we had got swept the year before. And so he midseason brings Walker back in and the team just just ignites on fire and then they they play this really gutsy seven game series with the indiana pacers and it we didn't end up you know pulling it out but it was just it was an amazing thing to watch it was great to have walker come back and and just be so energetic and so fired up and of course then we traded him to the miami heat which was like heartbreaking (laughs) in of itself all over again but uh, that was that was number two for me. The the Walker trade hashtag walk a shame. Yeah, walking it back with Walker hashtag. <laughs> that's, right, that's better. That's a better. That's a better tagline. Yeah, just going through that comment section here because we did go out to Celtics Reddit and and poll the people on, on their uh, takes. So we have got a couple here. So Tommy Vasetti wrote trading up to draft Kelly. Uh, sarcasm. <laughs> is that uh, is that ironic? <laughs> Jalen Brown flow wrote trading Jerry Welsh for a first round pick. Derelict Donkey Engine wrote Assembling the Big Three, the Brooklyn trade, the trade down for Tatum on draft night. Uh, Can't Handle the Truth 34 writes I like his general response to any player asking him what he was doing. Quote, looking for someone better than than you to replace you. Or maybe he just said that to Scal. My number two is the Brooklyn trade because I think that, um, you know, obviously, I don't want to mention my number one because I think that's going to go down as his true legacy. But the Brooklyn trade, getting all of those additional picks uh, from Brooklyn and really going out on top with, with KG and Pierce, like their, their value had started to plummet a little bit. And I should mention Jason Terry, but still trading them at a, at a high point enough to, to get back, you know, that huge treasure trove from the Brooklyn that's there. So uh, we're still seeing the lasting impact of that trade. Well, hopefully, with Tatum and Brown under contract long term now, continue to and see it, the impact of that trade for a while. It's almost poetic, right? Like it, it almost like fits a pre-made narrative because one of the biggest criticisms he always had was how the Celtics didn't do the right thing by trading some of his aging stars back in the the late '80s, early '90s for prospects or for draft capital. Um, and yeah. so he always felt like that was a missed opportunity from the organization standpoint. So. There was no way it seemed like he was going to let that happen with the group that he had. You know, he gave them about what four or five seasons to to do what they could, but when it was clear they weren't going to be able to do it anymore, uh, it was. I was just I was baffled by how New Jersey did that deal, but I, yeah. I'm not, you know you can't be mad about it. 
Well, they were a fun team to follow, the the, the Nets at that year when they had Pierce and KG, but also well, Darren Williams. Yeah, yeah. Darren Williams. Joe Johnson. Joe Johnson. Lopez. Oh. Yeah, yeah, another missed a, opportunity with Joe Johnson. Great 2K team as well. Um, oh. Yeah, yeah, that was a squad <laughs> in 2K. At the time, um, I remember being just absolutely shocked by that that trade and you know the two the first two celtics jerseys that i bought were were pierce and and kg jerseys like i was just so in on the team and the culture based on on you know how they how they set that for the celtics and to see them uh go i think a lot of people sort of became fans around the the 2008 mark you know rightfully so because it was their first sort of major point of success in a long time and then to see that that whole era just shipped off in one go, and then Brad um, and Brad Stevens brought in while Doc Rivers was traded as well. It was just uh, shocking at the time. So one of those cases, similar to trading back for number three and, and drafting Tatum, where you're like, Danny, like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, but ultimately, <laughs> it, it works out. So uh, are we on to number ones now? What's what's your We're number on to one? Number ones. I, all, I imagine, all time age moment. I imagine everyone's like going to be pretty similar in this where i mean yeah. and it's, it's hard to say it's any one thing because i feel like there were a bunch of different moves but i i just put banner 17 it was it was the trades that got ray allen and kg it's hard to separate them because they were kind of they, they, it was a pairing like one was to support the other mm-hmm. um and then he also had some really brilliant signings i mean you know before the season started signing eddie house and james posey to help bolster that bench and then the mid-season pickups of pj brown and sam cassell yeah i mean he he won the executive of the year for a reason. I, that was a master class on how to build a championship team in one fell swoop like that. It, like the closest thing is what the the Brooklyn Nets are doing now. Absolutely. Yeah. And I do think that Ainge was waiting for a similar opportunity, you know, post the big three era, which he, he kind of pulled the trigger on with the Kyrie trade and the Horford and Haywood signings, but it just didn't work out as we talked about. Yeah. But yeah, like you say, an absolute masterclass. Um, for, for my number one, I basically had the same thing. I had the KG trade, which essentially yep. is, is Banner 17. Al Jefferson, Theo Ratliff's expiring contract, Gerald Green, Sebastian Telfair, Ryan Gomes, Alder, Minnesota, along with a future first round draft pick. Um, to the Wolves. Uh, so just amazing. You get Kevin Garnett back. You you also trade for Ray Allen. Uh, someone mentioned in the comments as well, I didn't prepare this. I'm, I'm not going to be able to shout them out, but the, the Rondo draft as well. I think it was trading up for, for Rondo or, or just drafting Rondo in, in general. Yo, yeah, it was King, some, of, King I, of Pants. I forget who did it. Someone, someone a while back did either an article or a podcast where they actually chronicled that pick and tracked that actual draft pick. Because that draft pick itself, I think, has been... It got bounced from the Celtics to various teams like multiple times. That's right. And then yeah. We, yeah. And then the Suns ended up actually drafting him and then we traded for him after the fact. It's like hysterical. Right. <laughs> it yeah. was like it was a pick that got thrown into all sorts of deals and then ultimately we just ended up getting it back and it was Rondo. Yeah. And Which yeah, all feeds was... into into Banner seventeen. So it's it's worth mentioning yeah. at the top there for sure. All right. Well that was fun. Uh Vale Danny Ainge, you will be missed, and uh, hopefully he'll still be around the team to some degree, at least for this initial transition period as we get Brad Stevens sort of primed for the role there. Um, so Ainge did say that he thinks Brad Stevens is born to do this job, and in his press conference, he cited his knowledge and understanding of basketball. What do you anticipate life being like under the reign of Brad Stevens, the presidential reign of Brad Stevens? I think there's going to be some similarities between him and Ainge. I think that's why ownership is a big fan of Brad in that I think he's somebody that they feel like they can have a lot of confidence in, not just in his abilities as an evaluator of talent and and managing the you know the team at that level, but also just because he seems like someone that they can have a certain amount of trust in um, just in general. You know, he's mm-hmm. a guy that seems very capable of managing the media in a responsible way. Uh, he he handles himself in all sorts of tough and sensitive situations really well. I think a lot of attention got paid to Danny Ainge when he made those recent remarks in response to Kyrie. Um, and I think that that was kind of demonstrative of, of Ainge's just being a little bit tone deaf to the way mm-hmm. that the NBA and the culture around the NBA has shifted or changed and evolved in, in a positive way. I don't want to try to throw Danny under the bus in that, you know, I don't, I don't think Danny's an inherently bad guy, but it just might not be a thing that he's tapped into in the same way that I think Brad is. Um, you know, I think Brad's got a really good sense of self-awareness 
when people criticize his soft-spoken nature and stuff, it's interesting when you look back and especially reading articles and interviews that he's done at this time in Butler, he notes that his demeanor, his calm, soft-spoken way, that's all, that's all on purpose. That's deliberate. Mm-hmm. Um, he does that because he takes into account the effect that his demeanor and, and his persona has on the team. And so, you know, in a world that's full of instantaneous and emotional reactions, Brad's this predictable, consistent, thoughtful, and poised presence for his team. And I think that helps him develop that trust and that sense of security that players are looking for now. Um, yeah. You know, Danny made a, his name being the guy willing to trade anybody at any moment. And, you know, the, the NBA has kind of outgrown that. I think players are going to continue to build their own teams as they see fit until more organizations start putting more of an emphasis on positive culture and stability for these players. And I think Brad's well-equipped to help the Celtics organization do exactly that. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I, I agree with you and would add that essentially Brad Stevens seems like he's got his finger more on the pulse of the modern NBA than Ainge did. And he, he did kind of imply that as well. They they both did as part of that transition press conference. Brad Stevens definitely has like um, startup CEO vibes to me. So to see him transition into that more senior managerial, you know, president role in this case, um, it's a gamble. Don't get me wrong. And people have called that out because he doesn't have that tenure or experience in, in that capacity in professional basketball, but um, he does have an idea of Celtic culture and the culture of the organization. And I think that the front office is perhaps run by committee in Boston and that, you know, with Mike Zarin and Austin Age and the other guys that they've got up the top there, you know, Ainge has been at the top of that that pyramid, so to speak, but they all uh, play a very active role in the managerial aspects of, of that franchise from a front office perspective. So um, Brad Stevens, while inexperienced and new, is certainly not alone in this new role there. So um, I don't think maybe it's as much of a gamble as what other people are implying. And I don't think they're necessarily going to give him, obviously I have no idea, but I would assume he's not going to get total free reign and executive decision-making right off the bat there. But um, it is exciting. It is exciting to see. But look, his first appointment is going to be uh, a head coach. And Brad was asked during the press conference, what do you want in a head coach? And he said, the biggest thing is, can you get everybody, everybody to their best level? And can they do it all on one page together? And user Parsnip Pizza wrote, they need to nail this coaching decision. This is one new head coach they'll probably get before the Jalen and Jason contracts expire. Um, Jason, what, who do you think's, you know, let's just get straight to it. Who do you yeah. think's the most likely or realistic coaching candidate or the, f- the first few coaching candidates you would think of? So I'm, th- there's a lot of names getting thrown around. I mean, a lot of folks are really going on the idea of having a former player. Um, and I, that makes a lot of sense. I know that they're they're saying they're going to look at their internal candidates first. And I think more than anything, Brad's going to try to make sure that the guys that have been on his staff are taking care of one way or the other, whether it's helping them get into new positions that are going to be well suited and, and you know, help them maintain their career on the trajectory that they're on. Um, I don't know that there's anyone that's seemingly got the attention or the, you know, the the credit that would demonstrate that they're going to be able to step into that role and provide something uniquely different than what Brad did. Uh, I know Scal was on his podcast talking about Kara uh, Lawson and talking about how much the organization likes him. And someone just recently on Reddit posted a video of her giving a really great speech to her Duke team. I think that's probably a long shot. Just if you're looking at it from like each individual standpoint, she just started over at Duke in that in that lead role. It'd be a lot to throw her into the mix because whether whether I think from what her and and another candidate like Becky Hammond have talked about, because they're they're both being considered for opportunities. Becky Hammond's coming up in just about every open coaching opportunity that comes up and deservedly so. Um but there's there's no matter what there's going to be the narrative of being the first woman coach head coach in the uh in the NBA and although I don't think the the Celtics organization is going to steer away from that I don't know that that's going to necessarily benefit what's what sort of wants to or needs to happen right off the bat that sure. being said I think both of them have demonstrated both in their career and in in their interviews and what they've talked about the the comments they get from other players that they've worked with they're well qualified, um, and they both have a lot of fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kara and Kara Lawson and Becky Hammond both got a lot of fire, and if, absolutely, if they come in, I think 
they would definitely have that in the bag. Um, a couple of the players that get, I, I hope we don't go anywhere near Jason Kidd. <laughs> oh, hell no. Surely people rank. know that people by now. People keep talking about Jason Kidd, and I think they're just trying to give me an aneurysm. I, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with Jason Kidd. I, keep that man away from the Celtics organization. Um, uh, a couple of the guys that, oh, one of the guys I've been hearing a lot about is uh, Ime Oduka, who's over mm-hmm. at the, he's an assistant right now with the Nets. He also, he, he was one of the guys under, um, working with Greg Popovich for a while, like Becky Hammond. So he's got that pedigree. He was kind of an average player. I mean, he was, you know, he was a, a journeyman for the most part. So like he's seen a couple different things. He was, I guess, a big deal bringing LaMarcus Aldridge over to the the Spurs when he was a free agent. So like that gets some notoriety too. Sure. But I don't, I don't know that he's really got that energy and that fire. I mean, you look at it, you, you listen to his interviews and you watch him and he's kind of got a real monotone and ge- just a generic presence. And I think there's a place for that. I think there's, I mean, Brad's one of those guys too, and, and that can be successful, but it seems like what they're talking about and what they're looking for, he doesn't really fit that bill. Yep. Um, I think Sam Cassell seems to be the guy that checks off all the boxes. I mean, top level player has been all NBA, multiple all-star has, has won as a player, both with the Rockets as a young guy. And then as you know, a veteran supporting that 2008 Celtics team. He's got great ties to players and coaches across the board. I mean, he just kind of seems to be the guy. And of yeah. course, he got the seal of approval from Perk. And I know that's everything that the uh, Celtics organization is waiting <laughs> that's for. That's all we need. <laughs> <laughs> so as long as, as long as Perk's at work and he supports the decision, and you know, it should probably happen. But in this case, the guy might be right. And if they do end up hiring Sam Cassell, everyone can give Perk the credit. Yeah, I honestly, I don't have too much to add to that. I think you, you covered off on all the, the candidates nicely there. Cassell does seem like sort of the top of the list as far as if you just look at his resume and qualifications and his existing tenure, you know, around the league, but, you know, with the Celtics as well, he does seem like the obvious hire. I will say that I, I haven't seen or heard much of him in a coaching capacity. You know, obviously, with head coaches, you have more of an ability to to get a bearing on them and who they are as a person and how they interact with their players. I can't say I've seen a lot of that from Sam Cassell. That might just be me. Whereas, for some reason, I feel like I've seen more clips or whatever of Chauncey Billups like yelling at players. <laughs> and for that reason, it kind of bumps him up my, my list as, as Chauncey's far as got who, that who ESPN that connection, though. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. The, Maybe that's what the, I'm thinking about. He's got the benefit of that ESPN connection. So, like, he's on everyone's mind. And I think, you know, Billups, he's got a good way about him. He's got good energy. I think he's a guy, he's been a winner. He's also been on, a winner on, like, one of those workhorse teams, that Detroit Pistons yeah. squad. Um, you know, I, I liked when he was making remarks at one point regarding Carmelo Anthony having to take a step back in order to continue staying effective in the league. Um, yeah. you know, I, I know he's, he's over in with the Clippers right now as a member of that team. And so he's also got that connection with doc because he's working with Ty Lue, who obviously was a protege under doc for a while. Um, so like, there's still that connection there, which is kind of nice. And he's an ex Celtic. At least he was a Celtic for what, like a couple months a before Patino yeah. <laughs> decided to throw a, you know, grenade in the Celtics organization when he showed uh-huh. up. So there's some interesting connections there. I want, I wonder, you know, with my super informed and well-experienced opinion, if he's ready, uh, <laughs> cause he, he, he kind of just stepped into that formal coaching arena. Um, I'm, I, I just, if I'm, if I'm considering him with my superficial understanding of, of the way things are right now in the NBA, if I'm comparing him side by side on paper with Sam Cassell, I think it's a tough case to make. And in the videos that I've seen and interviews that I've seen with Sam Cassell talking about coaching or talking with players that he's coached, he just seems like a dynamite guy. Yeah, Uh, I really encourage he was on a podcast with Austin Rivers. Uh, I forget exactly when it was, but it was around. It was somewhat recent. Um, And they were talking about Austin Rivers time when he got brought over to the Clippers. And it was Sam Cassell that was working really closely with him at the time and having to check his ego. You know, because Austin had come into the league looking to just be a scorer, uh, and it was Sam Cassell that pulled him aside and like, look, if you want to play on this squad right now, we don't need you to score buckets. We got Blake, we got Chris, we got you know, we got all these other guys to do that. We need you to play defense right now. And it was cool because Austin Rivers, you know, is is there acknowledging that and and talking about how it was Sam that got his head right around that and was able to help settle him down about that and get him focused on growing his game in a different way. Right. And I think. 
Sam being able to help the guys on our squad, especially building those roles that that Jalen and Jason are going to need around them, make a lot of sense. A guy that can really help other guys on the team see the value in those supportive roles. Um, and I think him or Billups would obviously, I think if you get one of those guys to come in, in my opinion, you got to keep smart. Because <laughs> yeah, right. smart, smart <laughs> plays right in. Those guys are going to want smart. Either one of those guys are going to want smart on that team. They're not going to want mm-hmm. him gone. <laughs> so I'd, yep. like to see, I'd like to see Sam because I think that also means Marcus Smart stays, and that means I stay happy. Yeah, fair enough. And I just Googled it, and that's the Go Off podcast with that's Austin Rivers. Yeah, so I'm going to check that out, out as soon as we're done here. Yeah, shout yeah. out. Yep, fellow podcasters. <laughs> um, Do your thing, Austin. What about dream acquisitions? Um, maybe someone that a name that hasn't popped up, but that, um, maybe isn't necessarily available, but could in theory be somehow brought into the Celtics. I've got two names there. Uh, Kenny Atkinson is the big one there. I've always really liked and and respected Kenny Atkinson since his tenure with the Nets. And he kind of had a similar run to Brad Stevens in like bringing, you know, a roster full of almost nobodies to, to relative success there. Um, Brad Stevens was sort of quoted in the last 24 hours as saying they're not necessarily looking for an X's and O's coach. They're looking for someone who can like light a fire under these guys' asses. Kenny Atkinson, this is my professional analysis, has a (laughs) thick, thick old neck with a big vein running through it. And it looks terrifying. Uh, And I think that (laughs) along with his coaching acumen makes for a terrifying guy who can light a fire under this team. I, I do like Kenny Atkinson as, as a p- potential candidate. Nick Nurse is the other one because I think that he's a great coach. Um, and I know that he's kind of despised by Celtics fans and, and fans all over the place <laughs> outside of Toronto. Um, but I think he's a great coach. Uh, I don't necessarily think that he would be acquirable. But if we can pitch it so that the Celtics are on the up while the Raptors are seemingly on the down, then maybe that would give him an incentive to, to jump ship. But um, what, are some, what are some dream candidates that you think of there, Jason? So. My dream right now is Sam. the The only other one that kind of stands out a little bit. The, one, so actually, so I've got I've got one fringe that I'm hoping is just a joke and people aren't really they're just saying it to say it. And then I've got one that's on the fringe that I don't know so much about, but I'm interested in hearing more. So people have brought up Jerry Stackhouse, uh, and I listen. I don't know, dude. I don't know much about Jerry Stackhouse, but every interview that I've seen, the guy kind of seems like a mess. Um, he he doesn't seem most of the time when he's in his interviews, he's talking and it's not entirely his fault. I think he's getting, he's getting hosed in a lot of interviews because anytime he's getting interviewed, they're usually talking about him fighting in the NBA back, you know, in the nineties when just that was kind of a thing happening a little bit more frequently. And it's kind of a shame because I think then it kind of undercuts his ability to speak more to, to his, his coaching prowess and what have you. But there's nothing that I've seen or heard from the guy that makes me think he would be an effective coach at the NBA level. That yep. just isn't. And I don't think there's been a, a, a record of great success where he's at now. The one that I'm interested in and hearing more about is Juwan Howard, who's been coaching over at Michigan, which is a team that's been doing really well. And he, you know, he's a, he's a guy that's been around. He's got, you know, a great resume and pedigree, um, knows the league obviously, and is, is proven to be successful at the level where he's at. He's been doing it for a minute now. So he's a guy that's been of all these candidates, we're talking about a lot of assistant coaches. And so he's a guy that's been a head coach, or at least I've been Mm -hmm. talking about assistant coaches. Um, He's a guy that's been a head coach. And so if you're looking for someone that already has that understanding and that, you know, that qualification, he would be someone I'd definitely be interested in taking a a closer look at and hearing what he has to say if he's interested in leaving his situation, which nothing's come out to suggest that either. Yeah, sure. I really like that one because you mentioned pedigree and and how Becky Hammond and uh, someone else you mentioned have that that Popovich pedigree, which I think is is really coveted. Ime Udoka, yeah. That's right. That's right. Thank you. And the the Spolstra pedigree um, as well uh, for Jawan Howard there um, with his time back with the Heat there, I think is really, really valuable too. So pedigree for me, and it sounds like for you as well, is is a huge uh, component of what makes uh, a candidate appealing. Um, Hopefully that's the same for the Celtics. Hopefully Brad knows what he's doing. I mean, he certainly knows what he's doing from the coaching standpoint. Whether or not that puts him in an ability to elect a replacement coach remains to be seen, but it's exciting. And, you know, throughout this terrible season, a lot of the the um, 
the questions among fans and alike was like, what the fuck are we going to do this offseason? Like, hopefully <laughs> they don't stand pat. Hopefully there's a lot of movement. And not 24 hours after the, the Celtics are knocked out of the playoffs, uh, to the call this movement alone. I know. It's insane. <laughs> it's a tornado of movement. Um, and it still hasn't settled. The dust still hasn't settled. But, you know, we talk about the coaching hire being the first move there for, for Brad Stevens. So it was a, um, an NBC Sports article that came out today written by Dan Feldman. Report. Celtics seek to trade Kemba Walker, and a Celtics Reddit user, Flytanks, responded, I am seeking a girlfriend. As if to say, <laughs> of course they're looking to trade Kemba Walker, uh, which is great. But this is interesting because, you know, a Kemba trade has been loosely rumored for at least the last year or so, but uh, is often quickly shot down because of the difficulties logistically, financially, and constraints along those lines. Jason, what do you make of this? Is, this, is there any sort of substance to this at all or is it just writers sort of clutching at straws given the the lack of content available yeah and so in reading the article i mean it's it's doing the typical you know quoting league sources and it's not really tied to anything that is super imminent or relevant um it, it seems like reporting just based on the amount of attention that that the Boston organization has right now and, and trying to feed off that a little bit. I mean, everyone knows that in, in a perfect world, the Celtics wouldn't be paying Kemba Walker based on, you know, his, his performance and, and his career trajectory right at the moment, as much as they're paying him uh, in a perfect world, the Celtics would probably love to keep Kemba Walker as a guy coming off the bench and being that electric, you know, sixth man that can come in and, and get your buckets against that second unit on a new given day. But no one is interested in paying that position and that role you know, max money like that. And so, yeah, the Celtics looking to get the best value that they can for, you know, a player in a role that isn't really a great fit or seemingly a great fit in the moment. I don't know that that's really news. Um, I think it's kind of playing into the news that has come out and, mm-hmm. and trying to sort of be, get people responding reactively to that. Um, yeah, and it, it worked I, mean, I guess me. I kind of hope Kemba doesn't read too much into it too, you know, and I think that's where Brad's ability and to this point and moving forward to have those relationships with players and to be that consistent guy that I think cultivates trust with the players, which is why I don't think you heard any any grief coming from players over the season. You didn't hear the same like hoorah stuff from players about, you know, well, we got the the best coach in the league, you know, yeah. you know, we'll we'll ride to the end with this coach. You didn't hear any of that, but you didn't hear any nonsense coming out either. You know what I mean? Like the again, I just think everyone is exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um but no one no one quit on Brad. Those guys are playing in this in this series against the Nets. I mean, those guys are playing like that. Even the games where we were getting our asses kicked, it wasn't like when we were getting our asses kicked in the regular season. Those guys were working, and they were working for Brad. Uh, and Brad was working his ass off on that sideline trying to make something happen too. Um, so I think I think it's just reporters being reporters, um, mm-hmm. or or whatever you call the folks that are putting together that kind of quote unquote news. Yeah. Um, but I think it speaks to, again, a quality about Brad that can probably be a really beneficial thing for the Celtics organization, because I, I believe the type of dynamic that Brad provides for players is what they're looking for from organizations now, because I think ultimately players don't want to be moving around as much as they are. Who wants to move around like that? It's mm-hmm. hard enough, li- you know, living that NBA life when you're having to travel so much just during the season to at any given point get traded or have to go sign somewhere else that's really traumatic on, on a person, on a family, you know, and, and it's stressful and, and it puts a strain. I think most of these guys would love to be able to just, you know, set up shop and, and be comfortable playing the game they love and being a part of the community that they're in. But it's been tough because these organizations haven't always done a really good job of honoring that and giving players a reason to stay. Um, Absolutely. So I think, I think Brad has that, like you said earlier, I think, well, his finger on that pulse and has a way of connecting with players and, and providing that sense of uh, continuity um, and security that is going to be really beneficial, um, both mm. with the players that we have now and, and players that we could bring on moving forward. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and with regards to the Kemba thing, it, it is interesting, like you, you mentioned it sort of being media manipulation, like the, the media will manipulate the emotions of a fan base, you know, based on things that have occurred recently. And in this case, we appoint Brad Stevens as the president of basketball operations. The very following day, there's an article on NBC Sports Boston talking about a Campbell Walker trade, which puts, it incepts the, the thought in the mind of the reader. Okay, well, now that Brad Stevens is the, is the boss, and now that there's this rumor, it must mean that Brad Stevens never liked Campbell Walker 
and has always wanted to trade him, and now that he has the opportunity, will trade him. And I think you, you touched on that well. That's not necessarily what that means at all, um, and it's more more likely just the media, um, you know, leveraging a certain moment in time to get clicks. So yeah. I don't think there's that much to read into it. Like like you say. Um, a Reddit user should have stayed home, did write in the thread for this, because obviously an article like that, it is going to stimulate some discussion. They wrote, there's a market for Kemba, despite what many in the sub think. Two very likely interested teams are, one, the Magic. They're a bottom five team next season, even with Kemba, and have the cap space to absorb his contra- contract while sending back a TPE. They're a small market team overshadowed by the heat, and they need to sell tickets. Kemba is also a good vet to mentor Cole Anthony and Marco Fultz. The other one is the Mavs. Kemba's contract is one year shorter than Porzingis's, and Kemba is better. Not really anything else to say. Oh, sorry, that's, I'm going to put that down to their writing. They, they messed up that sentence. Yeah, no. um, but you, you understand the point there. So there's two yeah. potential landing spots there for Kemba. Um, the other thing is that when Kemba Walker becomes a free agent in, I think, 22, 23, uh, that's going to free up, if we play our cards right, uh, a sizable chunk of of cap space for the celtics at around the same time as certain players namely joel Embiid, nikola Jokic, also become unrestricted free agents it's not crazy unrealistic to think that that's in the sights of of brad stevens and co at this point because if thinking of a complementary player to put around the jays just as they're heading into their prime a shoot first point guard we know we've got enough sample size on that now with campbell walker it's not a good fit Nothing against Kemba as a person or his play style or his game at all, but it's just not a complimentary fit next to these two guys that we've committed to long-term. A a center who can both defend and move the ball and stretch the floor, um, I think is a much more complimentary piece. And I I wouldn't be surprised if we hold on to Kemba only to await the opportunity where we can acquire that sort of player archetype that does complement the Jays better. Does that make any sense? What do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And and really, a bunch of people in the in the forum in the sub have have mentioned too that I mean, Marcus Smart even this past year has demonstrated that he can play that point role. And I know he can be kind of a hot topic, and he can be a polarizing guy in the team at times. But he's really kind of solidified himself in that role. And even though there continues to be talk about him at times shooting us out of games, the stats don't really back it up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when, when there's no one else getting buckets, he'll go try to get buckets cause he's a competitor. I mean, you know, and that's why he's got the green light, you know, Brad's never tried to rein him in, uh, because I don't think Marcus Smart's the kind of guy that you really have to rein in, you know, he's just going out there competing, trying to win every single day. Um, I'm not on the, the, the bandwagon of trading smart. I think I'm, I'm wearing my, my green heart on the, on my sleeve here. Um, with regards to that, I don't want to see that guy gone. I know he's one of the better assets, quote unquote, that we have right now. He's one of the more tradable commodities. But the other thing is, I don't know that that's the way that Brad's looking at players. You know, that is the way that, that Danny looked at players. And I think that, again, that's kind of, that's, that's aged out a little bit. And I don't think players appreciate being viewed in that way anymore because they bring more than just stats to the table. A guy like Marcus Smart brings more than points per game to the table. But he's brought up his averages. He's done everything that's been asked of him. He's brought up his averages. He's been more selective. He's played more of a facilitator role. Um, he's, he's stopped breaking his hand, punching things. There's, you know, a lot of good things that this guy has done to become a better all around player to support the team in a really positive way. I love the idea of Marcus smart as the starting point guard alongside the Jays. I think it solves a lot of problems. Um, especially because it's going to cost a lot to get a guy like i you know, a lot of folks in the sub are talking about Lonzo ball or Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, and other guys, somebody brought up going after Chris Paul, which I mean, that was just, <laughs> there's, there's no substance to that, but it just goes to show like people are looking for a solution that might be right in front of their faces. Yeah, um, and yeah. I, I suspect, or at least hope that that's something that Brad recognizes already and would instead invest in, like you were saying, that big guy that can play more of that facilitator role the way that Horford did and stretch the floor. You know, we have the potential of that a little bit in Robert Williams. The guy is a blessed uh, when it comes to being able to pass the ball for a big guy. Hasn't really figured out how to stretch at the floor. And then, of course, there's the issue with just staying healthy and staying on the floor. Um, So I think it's worth exploring opportunities to fill that role. And I think that's more of a 
an immediate need to fill than than a point guard. I think we've got a point guard. Sure. Yeah, and the health thing is true with Robert Williams, and I think it's why, you know, up until then he was absent from this conversation and has been absent from many similar conversations is that it's just hard to talk about, okay, yeah, we've filled that role, we've filled that need with Rob Williams because until he can prove to us that he can stay healthy for a season, like, well, we haven't, essentially. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. I do think that either Campbell Walker or Marcus Smart are going to be traded, and if we can't find a move that involves Campbell Walker, that's when, unfortunately, we might see someone like Marcus Smart moved just because if you run down the list of tradable pieces, you know, Smart's kind of at the top of that list. When you take away what he means to the team, to the fans and everything, just that size of that contract size, the amount of time left on it, it's it's highly tradable. And then he does have a lot of value around the league as well. So I hope it's Kemba. Um, again, nothing against Kemba, but if I'm choosing between the two, I think Marcus Smart, sort of echoing what you've said here, Jason, is, is a more complimentary piece around the Jays and it's just better at running that kind of offense. Um, what I'd be so interested we'll to see is if, if from what we've observed with, with Brad and his rotations, when we had Tice, Robert didn't really get on the floor, right? So despite, despite everyone's enthusiasm for what Rob can do, like his hand had to get forced and it kind of seemed like maybe Danny forced his hand a little bit to play Rob by, by sending Tice out early. Um, mm-hmm. Now that Brad is in the position that he's in, it wouldn't shock me to see Robert Williams be the quote unquote asset, the young, promising big man getting paired with Kemba and maybe a pick then to try to draw, you know, to try to draw some talent from someone else. Cause that Mm. then becomes a little bit more attractive to another team looking to kind of shake things up a bit. So Mm, you get that. Yeah, now you, get that, <laughs> you, you get that veteran that can get you buckets and then you get that young guy that can that can, you know, will give you a lot of highlights, get the crowd really fired up is potentially an all defensive center. Right. Like and depending on his health right now could be the ideal time to get value on this guy, because if he goes another season and doesn't play enough games, well, then it's going to kind of be a rap for his his trade value at that point and then you're absolutely you're, you're stuck with purvis ellison and you're just hoping for the best <laughs> well, we don't want that look i think that's probably a good place to wrap it up and we've got a whole off season now to to speculate on what the moves are going to be uh for brad stevens and his team there um jason it's been great having you on uh looking forward to doing more of these with you in the future thanks again for yeah, coming thanks on. so much All right, that's going to do it for this one. Thank you for tuning in. Let us know in the comments your thoughts on any of the points discussed today. Uh, Let Jason know how he did on his first podcast with us. Uh, Until next time, go Celtics. Peace. Peace.